0: Let's
1: look at our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 through 11. Paul continues as he enters into a comparison or a contrast between himself and these false apostles that were infiltrating the church of Corinth. In verse 7 he says, Or did I perhaps sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted and honored because I preached the gospel to you for free of charge? Did I? Verse 8, I robbed other churches by accepting more than their share of financial support for ministry to you. And when I was with you and ran short financially, I did not burden any of you. For what I needed, I was fully supplied by the brothers Silas and Timothy, who came from Macedonia. That'd be the little church in Philippi. So I kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, my boast of independence will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia, southern Greece. Why? Because I do not love you, or wish you well, or have regard for your welfare? God knows that I do. God knows that I do. As we have said before, Paul is contrasting himself with the false apostles and deceivers who had come among the Corinthians and they were comparing themselves with Paul in order to show themselves superior and having a greater dispensation of truth, they claimed that they were God's messengers and super apostles from Jerusalem. They claimed to have a greater dispensation and a deeper, broader understanding. In order to gain authority over the people, they had to discredit Paul and to show themselves to be an apostle. And the one thing they were unwilling to duplicate was Paul's determination not to take support from the Corinthians. Wow, go figure, right? They were unwilling to duplicate that. This unwillingness to take support infuriated the false apostles because it showed a distinction that they couldn't overcome. It really made them mad. So they they came up with all kinds of strategy and lies to try to overcome that. And Paul stood fast. It seems like an inspired bit of strategy on Paul's part, but it was actually a practice of Paul. When he planted a church, while he was among them, he would not take anything from them in order not to be a burden to them. When he was among them, he wouldn't take anything from them in order not to be a burden. Remember, these churches are starting from scratch, right? And Paul was a church planner, right? Now, There's a great deal of irony in these verses as he illustrates the differences between him and the false apostles. He asks the question, Did I perhaps sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted and honored because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? In verse 7. And the reason is that the false apostles had made several accusations regarding this, and Paul replies with a certain amount of sarcasm. In Paul's day, among the Gentiles especially, Among the Greeks, for those who had the gift of oration, which means the gift of articulate speaking and dramatic speaking and philosophers, people like that, they made a very generous living traveling about and speaking. In fact, the Romans recognized this gift and they would allow cities to exempt a certain number of these speakers from taxes. How about that? It's a pretty good gig if you can get it. And the Greeks believed that anyone who was worth listening to should receive compensation. The more eloquent and intellectual they were, the more they charged. And the more they charged, the more credible their speech was assumed to be. It's like some of the department stores I know. Because the purse costs $150, it must be a quality purse, right? Because the tennis shoes cost $200, they must be quality tennis shoes. Never mind, they were made by slave labor in a foreign country. But they got to be worth 200 right? Socrates was criticized for refusing to charge for his speeches. And one of his contemporaries said to Socrates, he said, that if he considered his conversation to be worth anything, he should demand for it no less remuneration than it was worth. If you think it's worth anything, charge for it. So Paul's critics said Paul didn't charge for his message because he was inarticulate. And his words were worthless. Now, you remember when we looked at verse 6, Paul owns the fact that his speech was humble, and he admits that he was an amateur in public speaking, and he was untrained. Go back and look at verse 6, right? And Paul asks if he had humbled himself by not taking or asking for support. And then again, it's Paul making a humble approach. Now, here's the thing you've got to understand. Paul was ministering among them day and night, and Paul was also earning his own way. Paul was a leather worker, and that means he sat in a tent and worked with leather every off hour, and he had few. He labored in a labor that was menial and was traditionally done by slaves. That's what Paul did for a living. That's how he supported himself. So when he says, I humbly rejected your your wages, that's exactly what he said. He's being humble. This man who was inarticulate, this man who was humble in speech, this man who supported himself sewing leather was God's man. He was God's man. Verses 8 and 9, he writes, I robbed other churches by accepting more than their share of financial support for my ministry to you. And when I was with you and ran short financially... I did not burden any of you, for what I needed was fully supplied by brothers Silas and Timothy, who came from Macedonia, the church at Philippi. Listen, Paul was not opposed to being supported by the church. Don't get that wrong. He was opposed to taking support from churches that were being formed. You remember that he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 about the responsibility of the church to support its ministers? And in verse 14 of chapter 9, he writes, So also, on the same principle, the Lord directed those who preach the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So again, he uses irony in these verses. He uses the word robbed or pillage is actually the word that's being used there. In verse 8, Paul ran short and God moved believers to send to get... You see, you've heard me say, I've had a lot of jobs, but I've never changed employers. Well, that's the truth of Paul. He never saw himself as employed by Ephesus or employed by the Corinthians or employed by Philippi or Thessalonica. He never saw himself as being employed by believers. He saw himself as being provided for by God. That was his overview. God is my all in all. You just sang it, right? God is my provision, God is my strength. And let me tell you something that was supernatural strength to be able to minister day and night and work and keep yourself together that was supernatural he knew who his strength was he wasn't commending himself before these men by his credentials before the church of Corinth. he was not talking about how great his flesh was or his strength was Nor was he even touting his humility. He simply compared his approach to theirs. We can remember that Paul typically took a self-effacing approach, called himself the chief of sinners, the least of the apostles. He made a very humble living and never asked for anything because God was his provider. Look at verse 10. He says, as the truth of Christ is in me, my boast of independence will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia, southern Greece. Why? Because I do not love you, or wish you well, or have regard for your welfare? God knows that I do. Notice how he begins, the truth of Christ is in me. You can have Christ on your lips, you can have Christ in your mind, but Paul calls to the truth within. Now, all of the things that I've mentioned, prayer, the scriptures, the assembly, all of those things are meant to affirm the truth within. They do not give you truth. They affirm the truth that God has already given you. Now, you may believe that you're so strong you don't need that affirmation, but I'll bet that you prove you're wrong every day. Because there are far more things around you pulling you away from the truth than there are things that will affirm the truth. Now, I call this the provoking of faith. We live this life by faith. Well, what does that mean? That means if you don't walk in this faith that is yours, then you're not living the life that Christ gave you to live. You're living according to the flesh like every lost person and carnal person lives. Life for them is defined by the the body they wear, by the things that they can gather to themselves. Life for them is defined by their goals, by their accomplishments. But if life for you is defined by Jesus and him alone, then you live this life by faith. And you need that affirmation. It's not about knowing it just here. Listen, how many times, I'm sure I'm the only one there who experienced this, but how many times you sat down and looked at the Word of God, and it just looks like black ink on white paper. And you read, 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 and you think, wow, nothing there. Well, you know, I used to be convicted about that until I realized, you know what? I'll give you an example. Sometimes uh, we'll have a holiday or something or event. In fact, we have a lot of events in our family. And we'll, we will gather together at that time, and everybody will come together. And I like to just go and sit by my dad. Now, we can sit there the whole time and not say a word. And for some reason, that means something to me. The fact that he is willing to sit next to me, and that I have gone out of my way to sit next to him, makes a connection that affirms my love for him and his love for me. You see, reading the Word of God is not about intellectually being able to capture every word there. It's about being obedient to go and be where he is in terms of his character, in terms of his desires, in terms of who he is. It's written there. I know he's there in me, but I'm affirming my love for him. I know my father's here. I don't have to go sit next to him. But I'm affirming a truth. It's my desire to be near him. You see, prayer is the same thing. The, the gathering of the assembly is the same thing. We, have, we get the biggest hug from Jesus among believers that we're going to get until we get to heaven. You can't get a bigger hug than to be surrounded by Christ in all his unique forms. And to have his love expressed towards you in all of that uniqueness. I need that affirmation, and so do you. Now, how can I say, well, you know, it, I needed to do this, or I needed to do that. Well, there are things we need to do, and this is a Saturday church, and I recognize that. But where's your heart? Where's your passion? What's your desire? That'll tell you something about the condition of your soul. And a soul that's easily distracted and led away and can find contentment in the things of this world, over and above the things of God, is a sick distracted soul. Does that sound harsh? It's the truth. He begins with, the truth of Christ is in me. Man, Paul appeals to the truth within. He bears witness in his words. He declares, he will not change his determination not to take support from them. Now, this is in order for them to see his heart. He said, I'm not going to take anything from you. His purpose and motivation to minister them was the Christ in him, not what they could give him. He wants them to understand that it is Christ that moves them. It is Christ who is his passion. It is Christ who is his motivation. And you know what? That's what the world should understand about you. Because if they think your motivation for living is Christ plus the job, or Christ plus the family, or Christ plus whatever, you're not any different than they are. They all have mixed and divided passions. They don't understand somebody who lives in the context of his passion for God, who puts him first in everything. That doesn't make sense. Paul says, you know what? I want you to see my heart for you. I don't do this for what you can give me. I do this because that's what God has put in me. And the one thing that you know about Paul's life, you see it over and over again. You read all of the Paulian works, and you see this. He gave everything because for him the reward was the expression of christ flowing through him even if it meant it was being beat out of him with rods even if it meant that it was being expressed in chains even if it was being whipped from his hide it didn't matter they were going to see jesus that was his greatest joy well you say there's no way i can match that passion well you're not meant to you already have it in you Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, that passion is resident within every child of God. That determination that will forsake everything else, everything in existence, is resident within you. And God will call to it. When the time comes, you will have grace to be all that he's called you to be. Walk in the confidence of that. Many of us have gone through some really harsh and troubling times. Many of us have suffered deep and hurt, deep hurt and personal injuries. Has the grace of God ever failed you? Has his strength ever faltered? Has his counsel ever waned? Has he not upheld you with the strength of his right hand? You didn't know that you had that grace until the moment was upon you. You didn't know that you had that love until that absence was there. If you were to look ahead, you would say, there's no way I don't have that in me. And God says, oh, you just wait. Stand back and watch. See the glory of God. It'll come. He declared he would not take any support. He wanted him to see the motivation of his heart. And then Paul puts an end. To another accusation, you see, the critics might say, or might have said, oh yeah, well he's talking about not taking any support. He's writing letters about that he didn't get any support while he was there. And I'm sure since he wrote those letters, now he'll be getting the support. Yeah, well, Paul wanted to put an end to that right up front. No, not only did I not get any support, I don't want any. And I'm not taking any. No, this isn't a support letter. This is a letter of affirmation of the God who is my provision. Paul puts an end to that accusation by saying he will continue his independence. And then he asks, why? Because I do not love you or wish you well or have regard for your welfare? God knows that I do. You see, his critics had suggested that he wouldn't take anything from the Corinthians because he had no love for them. And he wanted to be free from any further obligation concerning them. Now, that was the most painful accusation that they could make. You see, Paul really loved these people. He spent more time with them than he did with any other. Paul spent almost two years preaching, teaching, ministering to their needs, loving them in word and deed, shedding tears with them and for them, praying with them and for them, crying out before the Lord, and never took a single thing from them. Now listen, you, you've read Paul and you know his heart. Do you think he was only there and showing up on Sunday or whenever they gathered? Do you think that was all he was doing? Do you think if, if a brother or sister was in pain, that he, he would just send him a piece of parchment that said, get well? Do you think that when people were struggling with spiritual issues, they would say, oh, well, we just have to wait. We'll have to wait till uh, Sunday. Maybe we can catch him on the way out when we shake his hand. Do you think that's how he handled it? No, this is a man that would weep with them. This is a man that spent time with them. He was over at their house. He was at every funeral. He was at every wedding. He was at every crisis. He was at everything that went on. His love for them went way beyond the call of pastor. In fact, it would probably be tantamount to having the Christ among you. Why is that? Because it was the spirit of Christ who was his ministry. It was the presence of Christ who was his ministry. And if you, can st- if you can put Jesus in a religious box, you don't have my Jesus. If you've got a Jesus that's less than intimate, then you don't have my Jesus. If you've got a Jesus that hadn't shared every moment with you, then you don't have my Jesus. That was Paul. And this is the accusation they throw at them. Oh, he doesn't love you. He doesn't want to be involved with you. You're like a gum. You get all sticky. He doesn't want to get close to you. do not want to touch you. Now, you know what's sad? He wouldn't have written that if somebody hadn't believed it. Because this letter wasn't written just to the false apostles. Now, this will give you a clue as to how vulnerable the people of God are that a man can do all of that among them, literally bring them to the point of salvation through the revelation of the Spirit of God, bring them to salvation, then form a church, found a church, not taking a dime from that church, spend almost two years among them ministering in such a personal and intimate way, go through all of the pains and the the joys, all of the things that Paul shared with them, and then believe that he never took a dime because he didn't want to be involved in your life. Really? That's how vulnerable we are. These people weren't some special kind of stupid. They're just like us. They're just like you and me. Years ago, Dr. Criswell at the First Baptist Church, he tells a story, and I've heard it from other people as well. It's about this missionary couple who had spent years in Africa serving, lived in a manure hut, sacrifice after sacrifice. Most of their lives they worked among the people. Gave their all. Finally the day came when it was time for them really to retire. They were getting on up in years and weren't able to do it anymore. So they booked passage on a a, uh, boat home. It just so happens that the same boat that they were coming home on was the boat that President Teddy Roosevelt was coming back from one of his safaris on. And He said that when the boat pulled up, the old missionary looked out and he saw the scores of people. The band was playing. There was all of this, you know, fanfare and and celebration and all of these dignitaries showed up and the press was there. And it was a big to-do. Nobody saw them come down the gangplank. Nobody was there to greet them. And they walked away quietly. He went away, and they booked a modest room in a very modest motel for the night. And he sat down and indulged in a little bit of bitterness. (laughs) Wouldn't we all, huh? And he said to his wife, he says, It isn't fair. Mr. Roosevelt comes home from a hunting trip, and the whole country is out to meet him. We get home after years of service, and nobody's even there to greet us. He had a really good wife, by the way, because she makes an observation. She looks at him. She says, honey, we aren't home yet. We aren't home yet. Listen, we are not to make this world our home. We are not to make this world our truth. We are not to make this world our reward. But we must determine to be passionate about living from the inside out. Yielding everything to, the, to apprehend the revelation of Christ in every moment of our living. To live for the transformation of our minds in order that we might see the truth, live the truth, and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Romans twelve two verse we've looked at many times. But it captures exactly what we're talking about. This is a warning. It's not something he says in passing. It's not something he just wanted you to write on a a card and stick on the refrigerator. This is the truth that you live by, he says. And do not be conformed to this world. That's present tense. Any longer with its superficial values, its customs, but... This is what you should be doing. You should be transformed and progressively changed as you, here's that word again, mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself. How are you going to know what the truth is? It's right here. Focusing upon him. Renewing your mind in truth holding to the moorings that he has set before you so that you can prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And that plan and purpose is all about an intimate relationship with Jesus. You need to be affirmed in that, not just every once in a while not just here on Saturday, though this is part of it, but you need to take the time to meditate upon the Word of God. You need to make prayer not just something you do in a closet, but something you do as you walk in life every moment.
0: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.